0: Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church.
1: And as many of you know, we've been away because, partially because we've been celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. Pretty cool. And uh, you know, we... We wanted to go somewhere special, you know, that's not a unique place necessarily, but maybe the kind of place that many couples go on their 30th wedding anniversary, and so you guessed it, uh, we went snowmobiling through Yellowstone National Park, and uh, we showed up that balmy minus 13 degree day. And I'll tell you what, my face shield, within a minute, uh, it was all frosted over. You couldn't see anything at all. And within 10 minutes, you felt like your feet were gonna fall off and have to like surgically be reattached. It hurt, but we had an incredible time. And the the beauty, I mean, the waterfalls, the the nature, uh, you know, wolves and bison and just everything, the snow, it was just amazing. And then, out of God's goodness, we came back to Cincinnati to find yet more snow. Right? I mean, isn't this awesome? And and I remember that first morning Carol woke me up. She usually gets up before I do. She said, Phil, you gotta get out of bed because you know, our neighbor, he's stuck in the driveway. He needs our help. Well, we hadn't met this guy before, and, and so I got up out of bed and you know, went outside, opened up the garage door, and there the car was, just ten feet away from the road that had been cleared. That was the hope. I mean ten feet, if he just get his car ten feet. Hope was right there for everything he wanted to participate in that day, but he was stuck. And so they'd already been working, shoveling, you know, out all this snow in front of the car, around the car. I I got my shovel, and we're, we're trying to clear the way, and so the time came for us to give this a go. And so he got behind the wheel, and Carol and I were pushing, and on the count of three, right, one, two, three, and nothing, except for the front wheel spinning like crazy, even smoking, but the car wasn't moving. Well, this neighbor who he had never met before, he got out of the car and he admitted right away that he felt kind of guilty because he said, in his country, women don't do physical work. So he said, Carol, can, can you get behind the wheel? I will help push, you know, and so we cleared out a little bit more, you know, just to make the way and, and so now he and I, you know, we're, we're back there, I, you know, we're going to push with everything we've got and, and so it's like the time, right? Carol's behind the wheel, One, two, three. And I'll tell you what, that car took off like a bullet. And the guy looked at me and he said, see? It was his way of saying all we needed was a couple guys back here to push the car. And I thought, you know what, I hardly touched the car. I mean, did he do all of that? I was really confused by all of this. And then uh, Carol pulled the car into the road and she got out, she came up to me and she said, you know what, he had his emergency brake on the entire time. (laughs) All I did was release the brake, press the gas. The rest is history. I think a lot of people live their lives like that, though. Hope is just 10 feet away. They can see it, but they can't get there because their brake is on and they don't know it. And so they're spinning their wheels like crazy, get really, really frustrating, but you know what? If they could just pay attention to the break, but they don't know it's on. And that break represents so many different things in our world today, I think. I mean, just think about this, due to this pandemic and the length of this whole thing, parents many times, and I hear from them, they have to stay home from work suddenly because their kids can't go to school in person. And that can be a beautiful moment or two, but when that becomes days and weeks, the stress rises up because you sometimes need time away from each other, but also stress rises up because if you're not working, you're not making money, and that kind of presses into the household. And then when the parents do go out to dinner to kind of get away from it all, well, the shortage in the workforce makes sometimes that experience at the restaurant a little bit less than what you remember. And when they do go into the workplace to see their fellow employees, Well, the kind of sense of the culture has been changed now because people are arguing over vaccinations and wearing masks. And this has led many people longing for hope but afraid to anticipate hope since disappointed hopes are so incredibly painful. As the Bible tells us, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, the problem is this. When hope has been elusive... What happens is many people often pursue different things that they hope might help them to be better people or more fulfilled people. And so they go to the gym, they go on a diet, they go on a vacation, they join a soccer league, they buy running shoes they might not ever use, and they try a new popular brand of makeup. See, some people hope that if they change their outsides, their insides will start feeling better too but they soon discover that they don't feel any better because that thing they put their hope in really didn't make any difference at all. All they did was serve like that brake that kept their wheels spinning and they were getting nowhere fast. Let me ask you, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? What would it be? And if that thing could change, would it help you to look more like Jesus Christ? Because after all, if we want real hope, we need to be pursuing the real Jesus Christ. Are you? Because anything else will lock you in place and get your wheels spinning really, really fast. Well, today in our study, John tells us that if we want real hope in our lives, we need to start looking up. Up to him. Take a look. First John two twenty eight. And now, dear children. Continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Amen. Amen. Well, so far in our series, John's been teaching us some really important lessons about faith and how we can know our faith is genuine. And here in verse 28, John introduces two new ideas that will spur us forward in our pursuit of hope. He talks about the appearance of Christ, which, of course, refers then to the second coming of Christ. He says, place your hope there. The same Jesus who died for you, who rose for you, is coming again for you because he loves you. Put your hope there. I gotta be honest, as a kid growing up, I didn't really understand all that yet. Faith and how it all works. And so the idea of Jesus coming back actually produced a whole lot of fear in me back then. There's a popular song and uh, sung by Larry Norman, and the words go like this. Perhaps you've heard it. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died. The days grew old. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Well, as a kid, that song made me afraid of guns, bread, waking up in the morning and walking up hills. <laughs> made me afraid. Very afraid. And then I came to know what faith in Jesus is all about. And John tells us that we can find hope in this because what is now invisible will one day be visible. Think about this. Throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people believed in one God who made them and loved them, but who was invisible to them. From their vantage point and their experience, God was hidden behind a pillar of fire or smoke on a mountain. And then after years passed, Jesus Christ showed up and suddenly the invisible became visible. In his gospel, John wrote it this way. He said, the word Jesus Christ became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So hope had finally arrived all dressed up in human flesh. The invisible had become visible and yet even though Jesus lived among them, visibly among them, taught them, healed them, did all kinds of things, John tells us that he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And so they hung him on a cross and left him for dead. The only problem, of course, was that he didn't stay that way because you can't keep hope down. And that's why he rose again on the third day and over 40 days made himself visible to over 500 witnesses. And the Bible says, just a little bit later, he he meets with his own disciples, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine that moment? You've just seen Jesus. You saw him on the cross. He died. Now you see him risen right before you, and now he says, you're going to go and be my witnesses. How would you have responded in that moment? Before these young men had a chance to consider that for themselves, something amazing but familiar happened. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Well, there's that cloud again. It keeps showing up. And suddenly what was visible became invisible once again. But yet the story still isn't over. Because it goes on, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Hope will return. He's coming back, friends. And it brings us back full circle to what John is writing. And now, dear children, Continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Well, Brian Wilkerson writes about the fact that the words at his coming actually refer to something that was culturally relevant back then. It referred to a king riding into one of his territories to be welcomed by his own subjects. But you see, back then, they had no idea a king would show up because there was no Facebook, no Instagram, no Fox News, no CNN. And that's why most people would never know if the king was coming, and yet they would never even really often even experience such an event. It was rare. And John's saying, you know what, though? You are not like them. You are not like them. Number one, our hope runs deep because Jesus is coming again, and we will see him. Can I get an amen? We will see him. Before we move on in that verse, let's take a look at verse 28 just a little bit more He says, now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You see, back then, if a king actually did ride into your town, you would suddenly be just overtaken with a variety of different emotions. I mean, fear would set in. I mean, first of all, he might see what you own and wanna tax you just a little bit more. Or most kings weren't all that friendly. So... You were afraid of what he might do to you. And you were also overcome with shame because while the king was highly honored, you knew that you were not. You were stinky. You were dirty. And that led to timidity, right? Because due to the lowly status that you have, you wouldn't know if you could even approach that king, yet alone look that king in the eyes. And John is saying, oh, we are not like them. We are not like them. Jesus is coming back, and you will see him face to face he talks about this in the very next verse, verse 29. He said, if, notice that word, if. You know that he is righteous. You know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So if you know, basically, who Jesus is, you know what it looks like to be saved. You know who those who are redeemed are. You understand how this works. If. I think it's a big if because there's a lot of different ways today that people think they're saved. Quickly, the top 10 ways people think they're saved. Number 10, I'm a good person. Heard that one? I'm a good person. Well, according to what criteria, right? I mean, who defines what is good? And when it comes down to it, we often want to determine what we feel should be good enough for God, but who defined what's good? Number nine, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Well, praying such a prayer is an important first step to becoming a Christian, but it's not the only step. Jesus said it this way. He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and then follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Yes, saying that prayer is really, really important. It's a first step. And even more important after saying that is living for him and following him. You see, friends, how we follow Jesus is a clear indicator of the motivation for our prayer. Think about that. Was it heartfelt or did that prayer really serve as a get out of hell card in our own minds? Number eight, I feel saved. I feel saved, like I think I'm all set. Well, friends, we all have feelings, and they're actually good. They help us. They're indicators of what's going on inside of us. And yet we should be careful for allowing those feelings to serve, though, as the final judge regarding the most important matter of our lives, our standing before a holy God. Think about this. After all, when it comes to emotions, many people have dated the wrong person based on a feeling. Many people have put all their money on a certain stock based on a feeling. Feelings are good, they're human, but they're not definitive. And scripture tells us that we can't have a relationship with God based on a feeling. It's only based on the work accomplished for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. Number seven, I have done good things. Well, that's different than saying I'm a good person because that says, well, that's my status. I'm good. These people would say, well, I've done good things. They kind of stack up, don't they? Well, Richard Branson has done good things. He's a billionaire founder of Virgin Group. He's also an acclaimed philanthropist and an avowed atheist. He's living in our day. For those who are a bit older, Al Capone did some good things as well, right? He opened up soup kitchens so the poor could get fed. The truth is, those who don't believe in God, those who don't follow Jesus, can do some good things for others. But even so, we can never stack up enough good things to really appease a holy God. Number six, I am religious. A lot of people put their hope in this. I'm religious. Well, so were the Pharisees in Christ's day. And Jesus reserved his harshest words for them. Number five, I say I'm a Christian. Well, friends, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of people in American Idol say that they're really good singers, but you don't see them past their audition. So it's not based on what you say. I'm part of a certain denomination. Well, Which denomination was Jesus a part of? I don't know about that. Denominations, they can be good. They can be really good, but they can't replace a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mark Click is here today. Could you stand? And uh, he is in the state of Ohio for the American Baptist Church. He's here today. I didn't remember that you would be, but it's awesome to have you. Can we welcome Mark from our denomination? But Mark would be the first to say, you know what, denominations are good, but it's all about Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about him here a lot. Number three, I'm blessed financially. For some, this think, well, that God has his favor on me. But here's the thing, financial prosperity has never been any kind of help for those who are suffering from their spiritual poverty. Number two, I'm better than others who say they are saved. Well, that may actually be true. But how about this, I can also find somebody who's not a Christian, who's probably better than you. So where does that place you in the mix, right? Friends, we got to be careful about this. And number one, I am a spiritual person. Oh, this is really popular. How do you define spiritual? Because all the spirituality in the world can never wipe away the sin that resides within the human heart. See, bottom line, John is saying, you know, those who profess all these other kinds of things live a lifestyle rooted in the word do. Basically, if I do the right things, I'm going to be right with God. But true Christianity is based in a different but similar word, done, D O N E. That I can be in a relationship with God because of what he has done for me, not because of what I can do for him. But here's the thing when we enter into that relationship, God changes our hearts, and our love for God does spur us on to do good things for him. Out of our obedience, repentance, and faith, we produce fruit and service, but it all starts with what Christ has done for us. Anything else is like spinning our wheels with our emergency brake on, and we're getting nowhere fast. And that's why John is talking about a certain kind of relationship here. A special kind of relationship based on Christ's atoning work on the cross. Paul put it this way, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, after we repent and believe and take our first steps in following Christ, Christ shed blood on that cross covers our sin and inaugurates a new relationship with God where we are not only his subjects, friends, we are his heirs. His heirs, we who have been made righteous, come to know a God who is righteous. We are born of him. And that means we become sons and daughters. Why? Paul says he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In Romans he says this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as Offspring. See, friends, we are born of him by his grace, through Christ's sacrifice, and as a result of his pursuit of us. Corey Asbury sings it this way. He says, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And it's based on this that John writes so emphatically. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And that's our memory verse for this week. Will you say it with me? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You are a child of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that with everything you've got inside of you? Because if you do, you have hope. Hope found through God's redemption, God's adoption, and God's inclusion of you into his family. Second lesson, our hope runs deep because as heirs of the Father, we can stand confidently before him. Not afraid, but confidently before him. I think in a way we're much like the mother who was joined by her son and daughter at a South Carolina football game. I'm gonna talk over some of this. Take a look at this video, because here they're brought on the field. The mother to the right, the daughter and the son, and their father on the big screen. He's serving in the military, overseas, and they're surprised by this, and he's speaking to them. Try to listen to what he's saying. It's kinda hard to pick up. The stuff that you have to go through. It seems like every time that you get to a new school and you make new friends, you turn around and have to leave. Most fathers pride themselves in wanting their family to look up to them. But I have to admit that I'm the one that looks up to y'all. I'd like to thank the University of South Carolina and the United States College and Health for giving my family this opportunity. And this is something that we do. Just remember my tour is over and I'll see you real, real soon. And then they realize that he's not just on a screen. He is right there. And this is you running into the arms of your heavenly Father, full of love, overwhelmed by grace. This is how we can approach him. Friends, our hope runs deep. It runs deep. That's why John continues, dear friends, now we are children of God and that is what we will be. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but what we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, if you saw a picture of my father, you would say, Phil, you look a lot like him. And that's because I share his DNA. That's why I look like him. Well, the Bible tells us That when we repent, when we confess our sins, we follow him, we are saved and sealed and adopted as God's children. And at the very moment that God adopts us, he seals us by his spirit, who is our permanent source of hope. And at that moment, spiritually speaking now, spiritually speaking, we share his DNA as well. And because we do, those who share his DNA, who've been changed by him, look more and more like him. That's why Paul so beautifully wrote. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's who you are. You're holy and dearly loved. Therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Basically, if you're a child of the Father, you will dress and look more and more like the Father. See, this process of daily following Jesus causes you to look more and more like him, talk more and more like him, and live more and more like him. But the Bible's telling us something else. One day, you will be like him. You're gonna be like him. That's why John wrote, take a look at these words again. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we we shall see him as he is. Third point, our hope runs deep because after Christ appears, we will be like him when we see him as he is. The same Jesus who came, who was born in Bethlehem, who died on the cross, who rose again, is coming back after you. Because he loves you. You are a child of God, a son or daughter of the Most High. And you are cherished, you are precious, you are prized. Never forget who you are in him. We have a deep hope based on what Christ has done for us and will keep doing through us until the moment he transforms us when he returns for us. This is the hope we have a deep abiding hope we have in him do you have it or are your wheels spinning do you see hope you can't just quite just can't get there I would say put your hope in Jesus Christ if you want to know what that's about after the service in just some moments here prayer partners will come forward afterwards you can pray with them they long to pray with you And, and really pray for any need and concern that you have Friends, we live in a world where hope is on the decline. People are losing sight of hope everywhere you turn. It's been difficult. It's been challenging. Hope seems elusive. But for the believer, it is not. We have a deep, abiding hope in Jesus Christ, and it's in him that we have a blessed assurance. Will you stand with me, and let's sing about that together.
0: Jesus is mine, oh what a foretaste of glory divine, era of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit. i
1: Praising my Savior all the day long. Make that your prayer. Make that the theme of your life. That this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Friends, your hope is in Him. Don't place it elsewhere. Other people will try to get you to do that. Focus on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, because He is all the hope that you need so now to him who was able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our savior be glory and majesty power and authority both now and forevermore and all God's people said amen your hope is in him
0: Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at
1: mcc.church.